Thank you so much. Let's stand together, please, for the reading of the Word of God in the book of Hebrews, chapter 2, and also chapter 6. I alluded to these this morning, or read from them. I want to read from them again, just talk for a few minutes. I promise you I'll probably not be lengthy tonight. Uh, the sermon will be brief unless God, unless God decides otherwise. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Therefore we ought to give the more earnest heed to the things which we have heard, lest at any times we should let them slip or to drift as we travel on the sea of life. If you don't have an anchor, that comes down to chapter 6 in just a moment. Verse 2 says, For the word spoken by angels was steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just recompense of reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed unto us by them that heard him? This is written, I believe, by the Apostle Paul to Christian believers. How shall we escape if we neglect salvation? It doesn't talk about your soul going to heaven or hell. It talks about the importance of salvation, so great salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. We should not neglect it because salvation is past, present, and future. I talked about this morning, justification, sanctification, and glorification. In chapter 6, the writer continues in verse 17. Wherein God willingly, more abundantly, to show unto you the the heirs of promise, the immutability of the counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which he was impossible for God to lie, we might have strong consolation or strong comfort, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul that both sure and steadfast. Reading with me, verse 19, ready, with the word which, ready, which... Whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made as high priest for ever after the order of Melchizedek. May God add his blessings to the reading of the word of God. Father, help us tonight. Thank you for the privilege we had to be in church. Drive back the opposing power of the devil. Give us victory in our life that we may be able to say that which needs to be said. I pray, God, that you'll unctionize us afresh with the Holy Spirit of a Holy God. We're grateful that we have an anchor that's sure the hope is steadfast, unmovable, because it's anchored in Jehovah. And God, you have already paid the price. You've already bought it for us. And that's the assurance of our salvation. And Lord, you went a little further. You entered into the Holy of Holies as the forerunner. You went all all the way to the Holy of Holies in heaven and sprinkled the blood. And you cannot lie. And Lord, we're on a journey. Anchor is will be secure for the storms of life. Help us, Lord, that we may be able to trust you. In days of doubt, help us to trust you. In days of discouragement, help us to trust you. In days of distress, help us to trust you. But help us not to drift. Help us to stay involved, working, laboring, and toiling in the work of the Lord. And Father, we'll thank you for what you do. Speak to us, I pray now, in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen. May be seated. Let me just stay right with my notes tonight so I won't wander around. 
and I'll try to stay on point the best I can. There are powerful drifting influences in our life that would cause us to drift through our Christian walk with God. It's not supposed to be drift on purpose. We're supposed to serve God. We're supposed to choose Him as our Savior. All of God's people said. Well, I chose Jesus Christ as my Savior. What's that mean? I realized I was a sinner lost and dying on my way to hell. I realized that I was nothing and God was everything. And if I was going to be saved, I had to trust Him as my personal Savior. And that I did. And I'm glad. Then God saved me. The Holy Spirit came to me on the inside to enable us and give us power to live the Christian life. The devil, he gets mad when folks get right with God. He wants to run, wreck, and destroy their lives. So he works overtime at trying to run, wreck, destroy their lives. So there's things out there that if you don't have the right anchor, will cause you to drift. If you don't have an anchor at all, you're going to drift. If you've ever been in the water on an inner tube in a river or a lake or even at the ocean, and you're just in that inner tube, if you just lay back the inner tube, you'll drift and take a nap. Go ahead and take a nap. You know where you wake up at? Way down the river. Way down the other side of the lake. If you catch the wind, you catch the wind. It just sort of blows you along. And you're having a wonderful time soaking up the sun and enjoying the weather. And when you wake up, you're maybe a mile from where you're supposed to be or a half a mile. Then you got to dog paddle back or get out of the water and carry the inner tube and get back to where you're supposed to be. It's dangerous to drift. And when you forget and neglect that which is precious to God, which is the great salvation, if you're not careful, you'll find yourself drifting after you've been saved. When I talk about drifting, I'm talking about taking for granted the great doctrine of salvation. When I talk about drifting, I'm talking about just any old way will do. I'm going to heaven. I've got it all taken care of. Jesus paid the debt for me. He paid it all, and I'm going to heaven by the grace of God. But he did not leave us here to sit. He left us here to serve. He did not leave us here just to wait on His coming. He left us here to work till He comes. The word occupy in the Bible talks about occupying until I come again. I will come again. He says to watch and pray, to keep our eyes tuned, stay alert mentally, for the devil is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. The winds of life come, circumstances. Most of us in this room have lived long enough to know that circumstances change and things are sometimes good. Sometimes things are bad. Sometimes things are up. Sometimes things are down. I'm not just trying to preach on sermons to encourage us. I want to preach a sermon to get us involved because the involvement helps solve many of the problems that you have. If you're not careful, you just drift along. You read your Bible, you pray, and that's good. You go to church, and that's good. But that's about it. There's more to it than that. He said, take up your cross and follow me. He said, I want you to endure every day of your life. I want you to be a soldier of the Lamb. I want you to be alert. I want you to be on attention. I want you to realize you have responsibility, and so do I. They used to ask Dr. John R. Rice, how are you doing under the circumstances? You ever said that to anybody? Have I ever said it to you or you said it to me? Probably somewhere along the way most of us have. How are you doing under the circumstances? John R. Rice said, well, I'm not supposed to be under the circumstance. I'm more than a conqueror through him that loved me. So if I'm staying under the circumstance of my life where I'm defeated all the time, then I've got to reevaluate my Christian walk and my Christian ride through on the ship of sea, or the ship of the sea, heading toward the glory land. And so sometimes uh, the circumstances change. There's cross currents in the water. Sometimes within you there's a there's a pull this way and a pull that way. 
uh, going the right way or the wrong way. And sometimes if you're not careful, you'll avoid it and just sort of ignore it. The tide of time will come. The waves of temptation will flood our souls. Two points, and we'll go to the house. Number one, drifting is deceptive. Turn with me, please, to Hebrews 3 and verse 13. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13. Drifting is deceptive. The last portion of that verse or scripture emphasizes how important we need to realize what God is saying through the writer. Verse 13, but exhort one another daily. You're supposed to exhort one another daily. So if you see somebody, exhort them. What's to exhort? Exhort means to encourage or to help, to exhort somebody. Everybody's got trouble. If you got trouble, raise your hand. If you don't have trouble, see us have church, we give you some iron. Everybody ought to, everybody ought to have trouble. The greatest thing that changes your life and motivates you if God uses trouble. Dr. Bob Jones talked about everybody ought to be in a stretch all the time. You don't break the rubber band, but you ought to be stretching. You're going to the next level of your Christian life. So everybody is born of woman is full of trouble. It won't be long until you've got trouble in your life. Now, it's going to be bombarding you. If you're caught unaware, if you know you're going to have trouble, you're not caught unaware. If you know you're going to have problems, so the circumstance changes, it's like death that went to the viewing a while ago. It has a way of changing situations quickly. Your priorities change almost overnight. Sometimes you lose your health, you lose your job. Sometimes something tragic happens in your family. It has a way of changing your direction, what you've been doing for a long time. It shakes you up. It gets you to the place that I've got to make some decisions. And God wants us to make the right decisions. And so those troubles and trials come. And all of us have those regularly. But the Bible says, exhort one another daily. What is called day, today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. So when you start drifting away from God, down the sort of on the like a raft, and you're not, you don't have anything to anchor you when it comes time to come the storm. You don't have something to hold the raft or hold the boat. It can be blown plumb out of the water. A big ship, especially, has got to have anchors. Somebody's got to anchor the ship. Somebody's got to anchor the the, the boat to keep it from falling. And drifting into dangerous territory and even going over the waterfalls and falling down to jagged rocks and be a disaster. So he says, I don't want your heart to be hardened. Right of these young Christian people, I want you to understand that sin is deceitful and it can deceive you. Verse 14, for we are, we are made partakers of Christ if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. He talked about being steadfast and unmovable himself. Those two immutable laws of God. He swore an oath. He could swear by nobody greater than himself. So he swore in the name of God himself. He was able to do that because he's God. And he says, I make it the truth to you. I'm not lying to you. I'm telling you the truth that the anchor of your soul, which is hope, is steadfast and unmovable. It's always going to be there if you allow it to be so. But if you start drifting along and forgetting that you're in a battle and a storm, it has a way of destructing, destructing your life. And so it is, the, the, the situation comes and we realize that sin is deceitful. In the middle of my Bible, I have a song that I've carried for years. I used to try to sing it many years ago. It goes automatically to the place where I got it marked. And I'm not going to sing it tonight for sake of breath and sake of time. But I do want to read it to you. That I need Jesus. Oh, I need Jesus to carry me through a long life's journey. Yes, you need him too. And when you're in trouble, don't know what to do.
Just call on Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, he'll carry you through. And God's people said, Sometimes I'm discouraged by load hard to bear. I feel myself stumble. I feel myself stumble beneath my load of care. And I ask him this question, Oh, my Lord, how long? Then I hear the voice whisper, 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 when you, you'll soon be coming home. And all of God's people said, When storm clouds are raging and the wild billows roll, when the sad winds of sorrow sweep over my soul, then I search for a refuge, a safe hiding place, and I know that it keeps me, keeps me, keeps me in his wonderful grace. He said, don't be deceived by sin. The greatest deception in the world is when it plays with your mind, as it did with Eve in the Garden of Eden, and she was deceived. Now remember, I said this morning, Eve was deceived by Satan, and sin entered in the world because Adam ate. Eve was deceived. The Bible says she was a weaker vessel. That doesn't mean that she's not a great woman and a wonderful Christian lady in modern vernacular, but she was more easy to deceive because she's operating off her emotions. You cannot operate off your emotions all the time. You've got to operate off your will, the intellect you have, and the will, the choice you're going to make. If I make decisions about emotions, you can do a lot of things wrong because you want to feel good. We live in a feel-good mentality. Everybody wants to feel good. Nothing wrong with feeling good, but I'll be honest with you, sometimes I just don't feel good. Sometimes I just feel miserable, and I'm talking about physically. Sometimes I just feel like, you know, uh, how much more can you bear? And you've been there, done that. There's not a person in this room who's somewhere in their adult life especially, or maybe in their teenage life, they've gone through pressures and problems and wonder how much more is God going to allow me to take? I mean, what else can come my way? I've heard, heard this testimony from folks over the years say words like this, Preacher, I can't take anymore. You wonder why people commit suicide? They can't take anymore. And the problem is they're drifting away from the rancor. And the rancor is steadfast and sure and will do uh, in the battle of life. Instead of committing suicide, you run to God. If I took a show of hands tonight, I will not. Have you ever thought about suicide? And you'll be surprised that godly people... Christian people sometimes think about suicide in their life. They think the easiest way out is just to commit suicide and get out of all this world. Because if you commit suicide, you go to heaven, praise the Lord, I won't have more problems. But think of all the problems you cause by committing suicide. I don't think suicide's an option for a Christian. I don't think murder is an option for a Christian. I don't think a Christian ought to murder somebody. And I don't think a person ought to commit suicide. You'd be out of the will of God. That's not God's will for it was first supposed to be more than conquerors through him that loved us, then when sin begins to work on my mind and on my mind, my eyes, my ear, and right here is where all this is played out at. This is the theater of your life. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. And as you begin to hear things, you begin to see things, you begin to experience things, they have a way of affecting you one way or the other. The reason why we've got to cast down imaginations that come against us. And imagination sometimes can be destructive. I've been telling you about some dreams I've been having lately, and my wife's been waking me up in the middle of the dreams. I, really, I was having a good fight with Chuck Schumer not long ago. If you know Chuck Schumer, who's a Democrat in the, in the Democratic Party in the Senate, he's liberal to the core. He's not my stripe. He's a man for whom God loves, and he can go to heaven and be saved. But I was really giving him a fit one night, right in the middle of me running to co-cock him. My wife wakes who are you hollering at? And when I finally woke up, I said, Chuck Schumer, and don't bother me again. If I go back to sleep, I want one good punch on him. 
I was fighting with Dr. Jack Howes one night. I quote him a lot. And I thought the whole First Baptist Church of Hammond, Indiana, turned wicked. And they all were turned away from God. Dr. Howes turned away from God. And here I am trying to fight Dr. Jack Howes, who in my opinion, one of the great Christians of our generation. But be that as it may, his church does a great job, and we're thankful for the church. Some of the speakers we have in for our religious retreat come from First Baptist. But here I am wrestling with Dr. Jack Howe in the middle of the night. I've had a few other skirmishes with various folks and various things, and I wonder sometimes what it's all about in my dream life. And I, then I started evaluating. If I ain't careful, I'll get too analytical and try to figure out my dreams. Then I want to call in the Witch of Endor to help explain it to me, you know, like Saul did. And if you're not careful, you'll try to find, what did that dream mean? Now, I'm not here to try to diagnose my dreams. I can't understand them altogether myself. I had not had a fight. Oh, and it's been several weeks now. I'm about, I'm about ready for one. Uh, when I go to sleep at night, waking up and fighting, and my wife drags me out of the sleeping position. And, well, who are you screaming at? And I may say, woman, get off of me. I'm going to get on top of you and give you one of these. I hate to hit my wife in a dream. Now, I'm just saying that jokingly, but the fact is the devil attacks your mind. He will get your imagination running wild. It ought to be sanctified and meditating upon the Word of God that your very life can be better. And I need that. He'd be reminded of that truth, that we're to be more than conquerors. I can't control everything that comes against my mind. Neither can you except to put the shield up, the shield of faith, and walk with God and, teach, and, and stay with the Lord uh, through all the turmoil and problems that we face. But through the deceitfulness of sin, number two, not only the deceitfulness of sin, Hebrews 3.13, but also drifting is deadly. How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? Here's the obvious. The obvious is this. When you neglect and I neglect the things of God, it sets the soul to drifting. It's just sort of floating along, hoping some way, somehow, everything's going to turn out all right. If I just stay with this long enough, everything's going to turn out all right. But what God want me to do while I'm waiting? What's God want me to do while I'm battling? What does God want me to do when I'm fighting the devil? He doesn't want me to sit by idly. If you're having a fight, he said, I want you to fight the good fight of faith. I want you to endure hardness to good soldier. I want you to flee away from the devil. And you, 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 you attack the devil with the word of God. And the Bible says, if you draw nigh to me, I'll draw nigh to you. Resist the devil and he shall what? Flee from you. I don't want to have to battle the devil in my Christian life. I want to have joy in the Lord. And the more I can experience that joy in the Lord and the fruit of the Spirit, the more I can overcome the wiles of the devil, the wicked ways of the devil when he comes against me and against you, learning how to say, if I'm not careful, drifting's going to be deadly. It can lead to my disaster. It can lead me to falling into the prey of the enemy. And many a Christian just drifting along, hoping some way, somehow, everything's going to come out all right. They got the idea that whatever will be, will be. Uh, somewhere along the way in our theology, we got the idea that we have nothing to do with what happens. We have everything to do with what happens. If I have a choice, I, have, I can choose. God puts things before me, life and death. He puts before me victory or defeat. They're before me. I've got to choose. I can choose to be defeated or I can choose to be victorious. I can choose to be an overcomer or I can choose to be an undercomer. I can choose. I have that ability. God gave me what is called a free will, and you a free will. So when living our Christian life, drifting can be deceptive that leads to the hardening of your heart because you're not really serving the Lord like you should or not doing what I ought to do, and my heart becomes deceptive, 
and becomes very deceiving, and sin has a way of hardening my very existence and causing problems in my life. And so it leads to deadliness. So I'm asked three questions, and I'm through. Who am I? Now, if I ask that question of you, you ask the question of yourself. Who am I? Well, i got to say, first of all, I'm a creation of God. And through Adam's lineage, Adam was made by the hand of God, and Adam was made in the very image of God. After, after this image, let us make man after our image. I think it's Genesis 1.26. When God, the Holy Spirit, God the Son, God the Father, was working in the days of creation, they made a man. And that man's name was Adam. And God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And man became a living soul. And because of that, I mentioned this morning, after Adam had named all the animals, he was lonely, and God saw that it was not good for him to be alone. So he made Eve from a rib of Adam, and all a woman really is is a spare rib, what she really is. And God made her, but what a beautiful sight it was to take a rib and make a woman. He's right under his heart. He took a rib out of Adam's body made a woman, fashioned a woman. And this morning I mentioned the fact that when Adam woke up from his anesthesiology, he said, wow, look what, I, she was a 10. She, did you know she was a perfect woman? Did you also know she didn't have a mother-in-law? Adam didn't have a mother-in-law? That's amazing. I mean, he had everything going for him, everything good, everything great. He had a beautiful garden to eat from and take care of, enjoy the fruit of the labor. And labor wasn't a problem, it was something they enjoyed he could, he could call the animal. He could say to any animal, I love eagles, but he could say to the eagle, come here, baldy. And that eagle would fly right to his hand. He had been under control of the entire animal kingdom. He did name all the animals, did he not? And what power that God gave to him to have dominion over the things of this earth. Now, I'm not saying we do that now, but we should have more power with God than sometimes we imagine that we do have. I mean, he lives inside of us. The same God that made Adam... In the beginning, who am I? Adam is a child of creation of God. He is a man made after the image of God. He is somebody, and so am I, and so are you. Who am I? I am now a child of the living God. I've been delivered from the powers of the devil. I've been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and transferred over to the kingdom of light, and I am a child of God. I am a child of God. Who are you? I am a child of God. And by being a child of God, I have access to the very God of heaven. By being a child of God, I can talk to my Father anytime I want to. Because I'm a child of God, I can share all my troubles, my sorrows, my heartaches, how I feel. I can be completely honest with God about my life. And God wants me to come unto Him. And ye that have burdens and problems and heavy laden, and learn of me that I may teach you how to bear the burdens of life. And all of us need that, including this preacher. So who am I? I'm a child. Of, what am I doing here? What in the world am I doing here? What am I doing? This is 2024. How did, how come I was born in this this period period of time? Why am I here? I believe we're here for one reason. By the divine providence of God, Revelation 4:11, that we were made and created for the glory of God. Adam was made for the glory of God. He was the highest architect that God ever made. He six days. On the sixth day he made man, after he created everything else he made, he made man. And this was one of the highest architectural structures that's ever been made. And God made man, breathed his nostrils, breath of life, and man became a living soul. 
And because of that wonderful thought, it's been transferred down to us. I am in Adam, and so are you. The reason why I sin is because Adam sinned. I can't blame him. I've got to blame myself. But I am in the lineage of Adam, and I was made after the similitude of God's creation, and we were made after the image of God. God has a will, I have a will. God has intellect, I have an intellect. God has form, I have form. Whatever that may be, as it relates to God himself. But the fact lies that I am somebody. I am a child living God, redeemed by his blood, uh, through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I can stand readily before him and say, how can I escape if I neglect so great salvation? The great salvation that God has given, he's provided that every one of us could be saved by his marvelous grace. So who am I? I'm a child of God. What am I doing here? I'm supposed to be doing the will of God and glorifying God in my life. Whatsoever I do should be for the glory of God. You ever get cattywampus? You ever get outside the will of God? You ever get the place where you're not obeying God? You ever get the place when you sometimes doing your own thing, rebelling against God? Rebellion is as a sin of witchcraft, the Bible says. Obedience is better than sacrifice. God wants us just to obey Him and to serve Him and to live for Him all the days of our life. He wants us to bring glory to Him. So when we meet somebody along life's journey, He says, I want you to exhort them. I want you to help them. I want you to encourage them. There's people having troubles and problems and trials. I didn't leave you there just to take up space. I didn't leave you there just to float along on the, on the sea of time. I've left you here for a purpose. I want you to know you got an anchor in me. I cannot lie. I'll take care of you. Yeah, I swear on myself that what I'm telling you is true, and I will always be there. And thank God he is and has been down through the annals of time. So the obvious, if you neglect the things of God, it sets your soul drifting. If you neglect, your soul begins to drift. And somewhere there's got to be a wake-up call. I said we have ears to hear. Pay attention to what God has to say. You may be reading your Bible and all of a sudden the Scripture jumps out at you. It may be a sermon that you're listening to. It may be a sermon that you're reading. It may be a track. It may be something that gets your attention. But something begins to probe the inside that God's trying to get through the veneer and get down where we really live on the inside of our life and to help us to be overcomers and to escape the difficulties that we're facing in life in the right way. When I say escape it, being able to face whatever we've got to face. I mentioned the other night about Keith dying and Brother Tyree and I was there with the family uh, when they took the ventilator off and we spent time there in the room as he was expiring from this life little by little. Have you watched a man die lately? Have you watched a woman die lately? I'm not saying that's one of the great things you got to do in life, but if it comes down to it and you're holding somebody's hand, I've seen a lot of things in people dying when they breathe their last breath. Sometimes they reach up and say something, sometimes they reach out and grab something, sometimes they say something. Sometimes a big smile comes to her face. I'm thinking of a lady now. When she died, it was like a great big smile just drifted right over her face. Like she just went to sleep. And you know what she did? She just went to sleep in the arms of King Jesus and waked up in the glory world. It was a wonderful thought. I believe when a Christian dies, God sends the pallbearers out of heaven, sends them down to take the soul back to God from whence it come uh, to await the resurrection day. And the old body goes back to the, back to the dust and back to the grave, back to the dust from whence it came, waiting the resurrection day. But the Lord gives comfort when dying. Somebody says, Preacher, it's not comfortable to die. Sometimes you struggle. It's the last enemy you got to face. The last enemy you got to face in life is death. And Jesus has conquered death. And the answer to that statement is, Hallelujah. He has conquered death for everybody. Those who believe in Him have conquered death. When their time comes to die, 
They can put their frail hand in the hand of a great God who is Jehovah God who cannot lie. By His immutable truth, He stands true. The anchor for the soul is hope that everything's going to be all right. And when you put your hand in the hand of God, though you tremble, He's not trembling. Though you shake, He's not shaking. Though he, though, though you feel sometimes a little bit insecure, you just take a hold of the hand of God spiritually by faith. He walks with me. He talks with me. And He tells me I am His own. It makes a difference in our life. And so who am I? I'm a child of God. What am I doing here? I'm supposed to bring honor and glory to God. And where am I going? Well, with the good grace of God, I'm going to heaven. That's pretty good for an old country boy. That's pretty good for a guy like myself who come out of nothing. My folks were fairly poor. And we were sort of, you know, living on the bare necessities of life sometimes. There was a few times we wondered if we were going to have food enough to eat. And I never thought about it. I just knew Dad's going to take care of us. When things got low, I just figured Dad would take care of us. But my dad knew the Heavenly Father, and the Heavenly Father knew our name, and the Heavenly Father took care of us. How do you get by? How do, you, how, do you, how, do, how do things work out in your life? All things work together for good to them that love the Lord and to those who are called according to His purpose. Greater is He that's in you than He that's in the world. I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. And He loves me. He talks to me. He walks with me. He does you. How does He do that? Through the Word of God. Through the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit speaks to us who dwells on the inside from the Word of God that we have in our possession. This is Jesus Christ in the written form. And I'm glad we have a Holy Spirit that can interpret the Bible for us, can teach us all things that we need to know. So often people neglect the Bible, neglect their salvation, neglect what's all involved in it when things are not going good and they turn away and begin to drift. Before long, they become cold and indifferent, and the heart becomes hardened to spiritual things. They can take it or leave it. And we'll be honest with you, and I'm through. I'm so glad that we have a Savior. I'm so glad we have a church. But he said, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What is the purpose of a church? The church is for us to come together as believers and fellowship one with another and glorify God, gain strength from each other. We put our shoulders to the task. And let's just use Gary for illustration again. I know his wife probably did all the plumbing, got it all fixed for him. But let's suppose they had a plumbing problem. And uh, he's, church, he's church family. And boy, things are a mess. I mean, uh, everything's wet. He don't know what to do. He don't know what to do. Trying to find help. If Christians are uh, what they're supposed to be, sometimes we reach out and say, we'll help you. Well, if you need help, don't hesitate to call. Now, don't everybody call tonight and say, I need help. But sometimes in your life, a Christian brother goes up farther than anybody in the world. A Christian sister can mean so much in the time of tragedy and heartaches. And reaching out and just, we talk about touching each other. The Lord formed us for a purpose. Brick by brick, piece by piece, He's building His church. And I'm part of that church. And you're part of that. One foundation on Christ, a solid rock I stand all with the ground of sinky sand. And because of that, we can reach out and help each other. We can pray for each other. One of the great things we have available to each of us is say, I'm praying for you. When somebody says that to me, I'm grateful. When I say to somebody, I hope you're grateful. I'm praying for you. God's going to work it out for your honor or for his honor and your glory or his glory. And may God help us to stay true to him. The fact is, God says we are his children. We are here for his glory. And we're here until we die. And one day we'll die. The last breath will leave our body. Our chin will drop to a pulseless chest. The blood will congeal in our veins. And we're out of here. And it may be this week.
maybe next week, maybe next month. I have no guarantees, you don't either, of living another day. This should be the last day on the calendar of God. Let's don't drift. Let's stay attention. Let's do our very best to please God all the days of our life. Shall we stand?